We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Danemore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast coming at you. What day of the week is it? Tuesday night after the Timberwolves pull out a two-point win on the road in Portland against CJ McCollum and the Portland Trailblazers. We're going to do tonight's uh, post-game pod a little bit differently. I've got Kyle Tige, the editor-in-chief at Canis Hoopers from SB Nation here joining me. Uh, Kyle's been on the pod many times. Kyle runs Canis but lives in Portland, so he has our boots on the ground. Is that what you call it? Boots on the ground at Moda Center tonight. Kyle, you uh, tried to start some beef between Anthony Edwards and <laughs> CJ McCollum. We'll, we'll get to that, but uh, but how are you? How was Moda Center? I'm good. That was our celebratory beer that we usually have after those games. Um, we just started recording as soon as I got home. You didn't want me to say or ruin anything. That was the most fun I've ever had watching that team um right. and if you know anyone who listens to this knows dane and i and our relationship and our, our how we cover the team differently but like that was the quintessential like new wolves first old wolves right because that first half sure. was just another example of the old wolves looking at the at the starting lineup for their opponent and just being like shit like we'll just coast no energy um Apparently, I'm not sure what the CBA says, but um, they had to play against the zone for the first time in franchise history. And it completely <laughs> befuddled any sort of strategy that the Wolves thought they could do on offense. Um, but again, we'll get into all of it. But like to see them come out in the second half, to be in person, to see Anthony Edwards just like literally start to like charge up like an electric vehicle. And just you could it, it's not like just the plays. It's like watching him run around screens on defense or like watching him talk to his teammates in, in timeouts. You knew at like the four minute mark of the third they were going to win. And that's mind numbing for someone like me or you who's covered this team for you know X amount of years. It's like they lose those games 11 times out of 10, the old Wolves right. and the new Wolves just, again, flip the script. So what did well take it away? Take me anywhere. Well, so. So on Saturday, we were at uh, we we're at practice. I don't know why this is coming to my mind right now, but as you know, how kind of the setup is, we're, we're still not in the locker rooms this year with Zoom. So 
you know, 99.9% of the time that we are ever around the players is in a press conference setup. You know, they're, they're sitting in front of you or you're watching them from the media section, whatever. But Anthony Edwards, um, he, he like, he walked over to do the in-person media at practice. So I'm actually standing, you know, next to him, which I've done now, you know, for a couple times for, for two years, I'm like six, three. And, and I remember like really needing to look up at Anthony Edwards or, or that like <laughs> striking me at the time. And, and you know, he's this guy who, when he's coming out and obviously coming out as like an 18, just turning 19 year old. Um, he's like listed like a six, five guard. Right. And and he's not that anymore. He he is he is like I guess charging up like you said in the course of a game. But he's he's literally growing as a as a human. Um, he's he's bigger. He's taller. And so I, I say that to mean that like these charged up performances that he has on the floor now that he had tonight with a forty point for performance are more powerful because he's growing into a more physically imposing type of player. And what I've loved over these past few weeks is teams have tried to defend him more physically, throw more things at him. And he's responding with physicality, not getting in that like yank, yank, yank back and forth into the, into the step back. And I think he's been kind of finding a rhythm with that. Like, Oh, I can shoot, but the best option actually is me attacking more times than not. And that was the, flip that needed to switch for him to re- really be able to take off to whatever this next level is for him. And if tonight's game against Portland ends up, you know, being kind of the start of the kind of him making the second half jump like he did last year, I'm going to remember this kind of like flip in philosophy in his head is like, I'm finding a new way to be the best version of myself. And it's pretty the word Chris Finch used was indomitable. It's it's pretty undeniable um physically when Ant is engaged and when he's physically in charge. And I just think that's what that's what happened tonight. He took over this game and they he dominated it physically and they won. Yeah, I mean that's it, that's that's a classic. I have to rewatch that game, right? Like that's something I'll probably watch 14 times tomorrow and just take a PTO day. Um I kind of, cause I kind of blacked out, but I, I do remember that Ant started the game like 0 for 4. And I think, mm. I think at least three of those were like just step back threes. Um, cause I, I you know, I, I was sitting next to Chris Hine and like, we were like, ah, he just does, is the leg bothering him like a little bit? Like he looked okay. He was playing tag with Josh Akogi pregame. Like he looks fine, but just something was off. Um, and then he just started like, shit, okay, it's not going right now. I just have to get to the rim. And he just became like, a freight train covered in pre-workout that just every time he would go to the basket, there was one position. I think maybe it was in the second half or like, I think all five blazers were guarding him and he just kind of <laughs> zigged and zagged his way from the three point line to the rim. Um, but again, it's, you know, there's so many ways that like you, when you talk to Britt again, like you guys would break all that down with X's and O's and how he shot in his performance. It's really, and I'm almost like a shill now for the team trying to tell you to go to a home game. It's incredible to watch in person because it's not for me about, you know, X's and O's or baskets or whatever. Like it's energy. Like it's like, sure. a, it, I don't know if we have any meteorologists that listen to this podcast, but like 
it seems like a tornado that like when the tornado like consumes objects and stuff, it just gets stronger. And you just watch this dude get stronger towards the end of the third. I mean, he, the game wasn't over at the end of the third. It was 84, 82, but it was over at the end of the third. I mean, I'm sitting in my media row and like, you're just starting to see fans, like just the life zapped out of them. Um, and it's incredible. It's incredible to watch this kid be 20 and just, I mean, tonight was one of those rare nights where he, Anthony Edwards was the best player on the court and it wasn't really close. He had some fantastic production, by the way, and from his teammates. And I'm sure we'll get into that as well, but he, Anthony Edwards was the best player on the court tonight and he turned 20 like four months ago. Well, what's interesting to me is, is when he is in that mode, it is kind of undeniable. And I think it's kind of a representat- representation of the modern NBA game where it's easier to be undeniable when you're playing guard and kind of the yeah, other side yeah. of that coin, what we've seen, even in like, you know, when Cat's having some of his seemingly undeniable games, there's just more, I think, in the modern NBA you can do to take away a five versus a guard who can kind of just go get it themselves. And it was it was an interesting juxtaposition for this to come in a game where, you know, I think Cat had three shots at halftime. He finishes the game only with seven total shots because, you know, Portland was loaded up on him, right? And and their their full motivation was, you know, getting the ball out of Cat's hands. And it's not to say that teams haven't been able to like slow down Ant or whatever and and do similar things. I just think it's a lot harder to like if, you know, overnight somehow we we fast forwarded and then Cat got Cat got no worse, but Anthony Edwards all of a sudden became the best player on this team that it would be more undeniable because because of like because of the style of game he plays and the way the modern NBA is being played, where he can just go get his own shot. We don't have to worry about like, oh, the double team coming from the nail and the this and that and that like Ant, particularly when he's playing with that kind of speed and the defense isn't totally set. But even if it is, he can find ways to just navigate his way from the three point line to the rim. And you're right, that is an excess of nose. That's just just force. And and Anthony Edwards is just has so much force in in his package. He played with that uh totally played with that tonight and it was yeah, it was just undeniable. Yeah, and you know, you you mentioned Carl's seven shot attempts. Uh we talked to him about that post game. It was a a season low for him. There 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 should be no NBA game where Carl Anthony Towns takes seven shots. But right you know, I even tweeted at halftime, like, he has three shots. I was being overdramatic. But, again, I mean, I think it's some – you do have to give him his flowers in the sense of he took seven shots, but he also – so career low or season low. He also had a season-high 17 rebounds. Like, he For just sure. – he, you know, we he is still probably the best player on the team on a, you know, a career basis, on a, you know, a season-wide basis. But uh, he is, yeah. He just knew tonight that – and I think that's, like, the one thing that – Again, we have these old wolves versus new wolves talks. The chemistry on this team, and you saw it just flood post game when D'Lo and Ant did their post game stuff together. The chemistry on this team is I know the Wolves won 40 some games a couple of years ago with Tibbs and Jimmy and stuff. The chemistry on this team is why I think this is sustainable. And like, not mm-hmm. just like that Tibbs year when they won game 82 and, you know, limped into a five game playoff series felt like prostitution. Like it just, it was not sustainable, right? This is, 
when, when they see Ant going off like that, Carl's like, I can, I will just block shots and get rebounds. Tonight. And Dio's like, mm-hmm. I, you got to get 50. If we go to overtime, you got to get 60. Um, and I just think that all is like this weird, perfect cocktail where like, there's other young guys in the league, man, where the older vets, you know, they don't want the, the young kid taking all the shots. And I think they can yeah. see what we see and what fans see and what the coaches see that, again, going back to that energy, like when he when he becomes that snowball at the top of the hill that f- starts sliding and it starts picking up and getting bigger and bigger, it's an avalanche. And the Blazers felt that avalanche tonight and uh, it led to one of the best performance, not, not a career high, but one of the best performances he's had in his short two-year season or career. So let's talk a little bit about that, the, the post-game setup. So, because I thought it's interesting how, how, how D'Lo and Ant, I feel like that relationship's grown this year, just in, yeah. in general, yeah. not, not just tonight, because you're right. Like D'Lo was, as he's kind of become the quarterback of this offense, been willing to like, okay, this is my turn to go. I got to go Patrick Mahomes with it. Or sometimes he goes into like game manager quarterback, right? And and there is a, a total comfort in that with him, but it comes from, you know, a confidence, a confidence he has in Carl and also I think a confidence he really has in in Ant right now. It, it was just it was funny to see the two of them sit down for their press just over Zoom for me, but see the two of them sit down for the press conference together and Ant calls himself Black Jesus on the first answer. <laughs> and and Dilo just goes, he's like, All right, I'm just gonna sit back and watch. <laughs> I I, I- I think D'Angelo Russell in his third season, I mean, this has been covered ad nauseum. Um, whether it be reputation locally with how you know fans have perceived him or welcomed him or his national, whatever. I want to jump in on that post-game as soon as the game was done. It was incredible. He was the last guy on the court. It was incredible to see how many fans wanted one of his socks, one of his shoes to take a selfie, get an autograph. He is beloved. And I also think, going back to your post-game Zoom stuff, um, it's it's a must-watch. It's up there on YouTube. You can go find it. Like, Ant has been crazy and excited and a 20-year-old in a lot of these post-game things. And he just, when he walked in before the Zoom even started, like, he was going crazy. There's four of us in the room. He was already saying some wild shit. And you just knew he was, like, so amped up that he was going to leak. And he's calling himself Black Jesus. And he's saying how he just, he told you how many minutes and seconds he played against CJ McCollum. Like he was that locked in, but Dilo was like, he's only 26, but Dilo was like a father figure to him. Just like, and you tweeted some of this out, just like literally subtly in cool ass glasses, pumping him up being like, keep going, keep going. You know what I mean? Tell him, tell him. And I just think that type of leadership is so awesome because I can't think of three more different, more unique personalities than Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards. And it's all about Ant tonight. Carl had a, you know, Carl had a season high in rebounds. Hell, Jared Vanderbilt led the team in assists with six. I mean, that's right. like, put that on your bingo card. But D'Angelo Russell was the guy again that throughout the game when it was just ugly or they just, I mean, D'Angelo Russell has, whether you like it or not aesthetically, if you need two free throws, he'll just do a rip through and he'll get just, he'll stop the bleeding. <laughs> you know what I mean? And just get you a rip through to just get a couple points on the board. Um, I just, I've really been, he's won me over a hundred times. Like he just, he really is the quiet leader of this team that uh, just builds these young guys up. And I think that I, as a management guy, like, I just think that stuff is really cool to see how much he fosters 
guys like Jalen Noel and Ant and just tries to instill so much confidence in them. Major like intellectual uh, college professor vibes. Oh, for from, sure. For sure. From, from dealing with that. Um, you, you asked him actually, which I, I totally forgot about this and I, I, I may contextualize all this to me, but um, CJ McCollum said previously that Ant needed to work on his jumper. And, and you asked Ant about, at Ant about that tonight, which which elicited a, a funny response. What what when did CJ say that? All right, credit where credits due. Shout out to my guy Jack Borman. He had tweeted it out, but basically, like I think it was rookie year, Ant. You know, Ant's saying wild shit all over the time, and it's all those Zoom uh, Zoom press conferences. And um, I think Ant had some comment about Dame Damian Lillard's rapping or like skills or lack thereof. And C- yeah, I feel like I kind of remember all of this vaguely. Yeah, and so and then CJ was asked about it on I think on his podcast, and he just said like he better work on that jumper. You can't run in the West. Kind of just you know signaling like, hey, you know, you can't just be an athlete. You got to work on that jumper. Um, and and until the NBA blacklists me from these media things, there's so many smart people in there, Dane and John and Chris, asking all these great basketball questions, and I'm just like, hey asking Carl about like, did he do arms or legs after the game? Cause he clearly was in a full sweat cause he did a post game lift. And then I said to ask Ant, like, you know, what did you think about that? Because he usually, I mean, I don't, it, his comments about locking up CJ kind of like, he's not polished right in a media sense. He just says what's on his mind and that's why we love him. Um, but it kind of reminded me of when he randomly leaked out those comments about RJ Barrett that one time he was like, yeah, we wanted RJ to shoot. Like you usually don't hear guys say that. It was like rookie year. Right. Like, yeah. Oh, I remember, remember that. He's yeah. like, we wanted RJ to take the, the last game. shot. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can tell that it was going through his mind that I locked down CJ McCollum. I mean, he looked at the the box where he's like, I played this amount of minutes and seconds. He played this amount of minutes and seconds, and I was on him. So, just it was just an easy. It was low hanging fruit to be like, hey, what did you uh, what did you think about that? Um, because he did put the clamps on CJ McCollum, and then Jared Vanderbilt. I mean. He was, again, phenomenal, and they just glued him to Simons all game. It was really impressive. I mean, I can't – you might have it on you, but, like, I think the Blazers' backcourt combined, like, eight for 30 or something. It was just – it wasn't – Yeah, Uh, eight or 10 for 33. Yeah, so, I mean, they – they it was incredible. And that's the Ant thing again. It's like he did did have 40. I think Stat News tweeted this out. I think he might have had 40 with zero assists. Yeah, yeah. So, he – I mean, like – that's that's a unique uh, night in and of itself. But um, 40, 49 and zero, but with three steals and three blocks. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, I guess to defend him in a sense, uh, no one was getting assists, right? I mean, no one was hitting shots. We could talk about that, right. too. Like the bench was yet again abysmal. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he just had play after play in that second half. Um, I thought. Yeah, I just I, I thought it was really cool too. like that second half started. Um, I with three minutes into the second half, Nazir Little hit a three and they're down 13 and Chris Finch called a timeout. Um, and he just got on them. And I'm sure you see that all the time sitting behind the bench, but he just, Chris Finch is a wizard and he just got on them. And I think they're down 70, 57. They closed that quarter 84, 82. So they outscored them like 27 to 12. Um, and it just shows you again, the potential that this team has and how cons- like if they could just find a consistency to start these things, because Again, right. we're amped. I'm amped. Way more amped. Like I should be. Um, but I don't want to bury some of the lead on this. It's like they also just 
looked so bad in those first 24 minutes. And it would have been a pretty big <laughs> downer if Ant wouldn't have saved the day and if D'Lo wouldn't have closed things out at the end. Right. Nope. They 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 did they did close it out at the end. Uh I do think there was a lot of like, yeah, you mentioned the first half and and some context that was around there, which little holes in in the team throughout the way, which as you said, with the old wolves, new wolves thing, like those holes that kind of felt like leaks that it seems like this team is beginning to find ways to kind of plug up and not let them completely sink them. But let's take a quick break here and then we'll come back and talk about kind of the rest of the team outside of Ant. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we are back with Kyle Tagge, Canisupis. Dot com. Kyle, uh, we focused a lot on Ant there in, in the first segment of the show. I, I thought it was, uh, I thought they needed help tonight, you know, and they got the big charge of help from, uh, from Anthony Edwards late in the game, but it was, it was no Patrick Beverly, which right there signals probably need some help tonight. Like somebody else has got to step up, particularly defensively. Jane McDaniels gets the start for, um, in, in Beverly's place, but it was just, it was just very much not a McDaniels game. Um, it was one of those where he gets, he has like three fouls, 10 minutes into the game. And it's just kind of all Orion. We were actually texting about this during the game where it just kind of felt like one of those nights where Tori and Prince made a little bit more sense with the, with the main group. And Torian's kind of somebody I really like coming into the season, kind of tried to hold on some hope to him being an important role player on this team that would proved pretty naive the first half of the season, but we've seen a, a lot more from him lately. It did end up getting to the point where Finch agreed and enrolled with, with Prince, not only in like Jaden's kind of normal minutes. I think McDaniels finished with yeah 15 minutes played tonight, but he closed the game largely with, with Tori and Prince and, it's it's having a veteran. It feels important to me of having a veteran to that you can plug in when it is one of your young guys who's having an off night, right? So you don't have to be overly reliant on a Jaden McDaniels or a Jalen Noel or a Nas Reed or whatever when when kind of the youth feels like it's getting in the way. Did Torian stick out to you tonight? You, I was blessed enough to go back to media or to media day last when it started in uh, September October, and I fell in love with Torian Prince that day just by the things he said and he carried himself like a real veteran. Right. But it's shocking because he's 27. Like he was on those Hawks teams that were good. He was on those Nets teams. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, we talked, we did text about that between the or during the game because it it just seems. And again, I'm as the president of the Jade McDaniel's fan club. It 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 does seem like maybe youth or just the moment. I mean, Jaden was awesome in his rookie year, but even when they were starting to win those second half of the season games, all those games were meaningless. They were winning them, but they're meaningless. These games now have a little more juice to them. And I just, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's tweaks to his mechanics of a shot or what. It's just as a Jaden fan, I do think the moment sometimes is just like a little too big for him, which is cool. Cause he's like 21. Like he's still got a, well, it's cool because they have Prince. Right. But I just think Prince, I mean, if you are only listening to this podcast and staring at a box score, you're going to see that Prince finished with zero points, two assists and one rebound. But it's, it's, it, it is like, it is more than that. Just his mm-hmm. presence, just the way he maneuvers around screens, um, his ability to not foul people <laughs> all the time. You know what I mean? Like, I think Jane gets a bad whistle, but at the end of the day, those whistles suck. Like those whistles will get you in trouble. I mean, Jaden sure. fouled the guy before the ball was inbounded and it gave, gave him a free free throw. Like that type of shit adds up. So, yeah, I mean, going back to the Beverly thing, you know, because when you go to when you cover a game, you get to show up early. Like I watched Bev warm up the whole he, he looks fine. Like he, he put in a full workout. He was putting up shots, doing dribbles, like working on his handle. Um, And I think, you know, texting with you, it, it probably is just a, a smart team being overly cautious with an important veteran player. I mean, I, don't, I think right. if, I think if tonight was game four of the first round of the playoffs, Bev would have played. Um, well, I think it's like they took it super cautious with that groin thing mm-hmm. like earlier in the year. And that was just like, all right, we're just going to rule you out for like two weeks, basically. Right. And like he needed that. I mean, the groin acted its itself back up. Right. So he is 33. And I think Patrick Beverly, we all know, puts <laughs> has probably put more wear on his body than than a 33 year old so it isn't it's weird because there's like i feel like there's kind of this like percolating um he's just so injury prone narrative with him which i i I mean i i've brought it up too which makes you think about the future of you know are you going to commit long term to patrick beverly when he is this guy i i i think a lot of his injury stuff is really precautionary and they're Mm -hmm. just trying to avoid something that is serious and it's like a month he has to miss or or something like that. And I mean, ultimately, what was Patrick Beverly brought here to do? Like set a culture and last, you know, like yeah. they last for the season, right? They If they're in the playoffs, like they want Patrick Beverly to be able to play 30 plus minutes a night in a seven game playoff series. He probably can't do that for all 82 games. I still don't think that necessarily means he's injury prone, injury prone. What I think it means is you need to have a little bit of depth on your team. You need to not be extremely reliant on the fact that your starting lineup has an awesome net rating. Like that doesn't totally matter, right? You need Jade McDaniels needs to contribute. Torian Prince needs to contribute. You know, they, they Jalen Noel is a huge part of where this team has has gone recently. And um I'm less caught on the on the Beverly part of it and more so encouraged by the fact that Finch has started to find those blended lineup sort of things. Jalen Noel, that stood out a bunch lately. He plays with the starters a lot. Torian tonight with, with the starters. And I think a reason to feel more confident about this team over the next 10, so, 10 or so games is you don't have the same fear with that bench um, when when you get to it. And you're right. It isn't 
it isn't necessarily a box score thing. I'm pretty sure Chris Finch doesn't give a shit if Torian Prince has zero points, if he's playing, you know, two thirds of his minutes alongside Ant, D'Lo and Cat, right? So I don't know. It's just starting to fit for me. Strong. And I say this because speaking of who he played for, did not know this guy lived in the same city as me. Sometimes Torian Prince can give you strong Tony Snell vibes, right? Like <laughs> sure. Tony Snell, yeah, totally. there's a, Tony Snell, 30 years old on the Blazers roster. Shocking to me as well. Um, but he, he, he was a really productive role player on those Bulls and Bucks teams, right? Like he, he knew his role. And I think Prince might have a little higher offensive ceiling. I don't, I don't think he'll give you a game where he goes complete zeros and just gets cardio in, but, I, th- I think what, I'm, what we're both saying at the same point is that Patrick Beverly is okay, and he's probably, this is just me, he's probably going to play later this week, I would imagine. Um, and he's also probably going to miss another handful of games. They're just going to force him to sit out. They're going to force him to rest because this team is a playoff team. Um, and I think my biggest thing, and I, I kind of gleaned this from talking to you, Torian Prince should be that fifth starter when Patrick Beverly can't play. It It's not even like, up for debate. Like it, it can't be Jaden anymore. Jaden can come in on the second unit, maybe, you know, go from dribbling twice a game to dribbling eight times a game. But I just think Prince fits that role of that fifth starter so well. Now that you're seeing too, like Vando's trying to go for his offense a little more, right? Like you don't need right. anything other than just a guy who fully understands his role. Isn't going to hurt you. He might not produce, but he's not going to hurt you. And the Jaden stuff, it's like, he's starting to hurt you a little bit. Like he's just missing a lot of shots and he's just following way too much. What, uh, what do you make of these two consecutive games? I know we kind of hit on this already, but it's two consecutive games that are really slow from cat. Um, that were both wins over Brooklyn, a good team. That one was at home. And then a road win over, over Portland. Um, are you kind of in the what Finch is saying mold of like, well, we just didn't really need to go to him tonight. We didn't need that. We don't want to force it to him. Or are you more like this is getting a little bit concerning that teams are able to take away our best um, offensive weapon? Well, again, credit to Ant. If he doesn't order a 40 piece, all we're doing is talking about Carlton Towns shooting seven shots. That is literally all we, all we talk about. Um, so Ant kind of saved that, but again, I mean, we've already talked about how Carl also had 17 boards and four, four blocks, but, um, yeah, I think, I think it is concerning, right? I mean, I don't really know other way to say it. I did too. I I mean, I think I tweeted something stupid, like that the wolves should be fined $250,000 every time Carl doesn't take five threes. You mean, if you're going to find them for hanging out in Miami, you find them for not giving the quote unquote best big man shooter of all time, like shots. Um, right. So I think that, but don't you think that, don't you think he's got to just take them? Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, that part of it, hundred percent. I mean, there was, you know, watching that game, I will say credit to Portland. Like I joke about how the zone completely flummoxed Minnesota, but unless you saw it differently, it was like a good zone. Like it was, they were, they were on a string for the most part, Portland's defenders. Um, I, I watched their, their last game, um, which was against Toronto this morning before this one. And they held Toronto to 32 points in the first half. And it was like that whole zone the whole time. And I hadn't watched Portland in a while. And and in my mind, when I had watched them or I, I kind of read about it, like, oh, Portland's the other team in the league who's also doing this 
same high wall defensive thing that we've been talking about with the Wolves and Cat all year. And I was like, well, what happened to that? Because you're just running, you're just running zone the whole time. And and they actually like, you know, like the Wolves do that because they have the athletes to like roam around Cat, right? And they can scramble to to get there. Like Portland has those athletes too, but they they have Nurkic instead of Cat. And and part of as frustrating as some of Carl's things have been this year, like Cat's getting pretty good at that at the high wall thing for yeah. the Wolves. And and Nurkic isn't. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's just a credit to being a different level athlete than Cat is. Cat Cat's just Cat's just better at it. But Portland is um they do have the athletes, so I think the zone does work well. I think I think it flummoxes them. I think it flummoxes Cat a little bit too, of like, you know, when it when you're playing against a zone, you're never like open, right? <laughs> and unless it's just like a wide like if you're but, the focus of a zone. When you're playing in a zone defense. It's like when the door is constantly ajar. You know what I mean? Like you're actually kind of always open, but right, not right. enough, not it's enough both. for me to get through the doorway. Um, because and I think that's my frustration with cat is like the door is open, dude. Like it's ajar. Well, and, and, and in that yeah. first half, too. I mean, again, I'm gonna probably watch that back six times tonight and watch the sunrise, but I would just rather have Carl take a fourth shot in that zone than whatever the hell they were doing. <laughs> like yeah, like a four shot that isn't him like uh, trying to force a foul draw because that's when I think a lot of the time when Cat does get aggressive, it's you know it's just like the put your head down kind of like flailing thing, and he's upset if he doesn't you know if he doesn't get the look. But the type of aggression I would like to see is literally just like a quicker, just like more trigger happy, top the key against the zone like that. Like, okay, Dennis Smith Jr. is on you you are a foot taller than Dennis Smith Jr. You know, like, just just fire that. And right, and it's like, you know, if 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 um if Dane Moore is guarding KD on the perimeter, KD's just going to shoot over you. Right, so I mean, just like, I if you're the so. best shooting big man well, of all time, like, just shoot over people. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to do with the other four guys on offense in the zone, but like, yeah, just put Carl at the top. He did have a laser beam of a pass to Vando, who was like running he the He did baseline. pass well out of that spot today. It was, and he only had two assists, but he should have like 10. There was a I lot say he should have led the team in assists because they, I mean, <laughs> yeah. NBA star Malik Beasley was, uh, had another tough night, but I mean, he did have a good block. But I mean, yeah, I just think, and that's what zone defense does, right? Zone defense is supposed to make you uncomfortable. Zone defense, I mean, hell, you and I play against it in like rec league. Like it is an uncomfortable thing to play against. It's just, you're just not used to it. Um, And that's everything that Cat has faced this year, right? It's all, and, I you know I guess good game plan by the other teams, but literally everything that opponents throw at Cat is is uncomfortable. It's these these we're okay. We're gonna guard you with a three, but then we're gonna have the five come over to double. Oh, we're gonna do zone all that. Like that is uncomfortable. And the stupid teams who don't do stuff like that, Cat kills right. Yeah. So it like Cat is in this weird spot where he sees these fun. I mean, if you watch other NBA games, like this is, it's not what defense looks like because every team is trying to like throw a hack right at, at slowing cat down. And it's just, it just is a bit bizarre. And the counter, like we've said all year is like, yo, you got ant, you got Delo, you theoretically have shooters around them. Those things need to, you know, kind of take the charge when these teams are throwing these funky defenses at them. 
So I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth because we're like, I've been like, man, cats getting doubled. We got to, you know, we got to have shooters around them. You got to be able to have cutters. You got to catch an attack. All these sort of things. I've been saying that all year. And now I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth where I'm like, okay, those things are happening. Ant is going off. Dealer's hitting some threes. But I also still got to get a little bit more of cat. So I, I don't know. Maybe that's just like a gradual sort of figure it out over time thing with this team. But I would like more. Well, and again, part of that 27 to 12 run in the third, the last nine minutes after this perfect Chris Finch timeout. Um, I mean, part of that 27 points was two threes from Carl just at the top of the key. Just let him let it let it go. And they were beautiful. Right. Um, so, I mean the optimist in me says like, you know, maybe they're starting to kind of figure some of that stuff out, but I would just say in general with my limited basketball knowledge, there should, you know, they, this was fun. I said at the top, like this was the most fun I've ever had at a game. I think if you want to be, you know, objective, they also dodged a huge bullet because that would have been a really, really bad loss considering you're about to go, I think, play the next three games against the three top teams in the West. Or I know Utah's been slipping, but um, like they dodged a massive bullet. And if I'm Chris Finch and I have a beer on the plane tonight or tomorrow, it's like we under no circumstances whatsoever can Carl shoot single digit shot attempts again moving forward. It doesn't matter what the context of the game is. It doesn't matter if Ant has 80. He still has to have 10 shot attempts in any game. No, absolutely. And I, I think I think that's something Cat will probably take upon himself too, because this wasn't just one game. This has been two games in a row where for one reason I, I think he starts to kind of um talk himself out of shooting if he misses the first couple. Go ahead, you got something. You got I, I was finger. just thinking too, like I'm trying the, to be objective. Pointer finger. I'm trying to be objective, like Carl, I know you're listening. Like you gotta shoot more. But I again I, I think it's important to acknowledge that like it almost looked like he was disinterested, but being at the game, I mean, you, Yusuf Nurkic is a grizzly bear with a handle. Like he is, he is, has to be, he's on that Valanciunas level of like physicality. It was a fight. Like it was scrappy. You saw Nazir Little take a, take a shot. Like Covington, Vando took four shots to the face and took a shot to the face. Like it was one of the more physical games they played. And this goes back to one of the topics you brought up. Like Carl was emotionless. And I thought that was like a sign of growth. Like you got to shoot more, but like he never once was on the refs. He took a couple, you know, shots from Nurkic during different points. He was never complaining. He just went back, got rebounds, and got blocked. So I think that was a sign of growth, right? Like he still has a lot to work on. He they're not going to win playoff games if Carl Anthony Towns ever shoots seven shots. So it'll never happen. Mm -hmm. But or or gets in foul trouble, or has too many turnovers. I mean, it's. There are the, these are the things, and it's it's a progression through them. And I, I feel like I, I feel bad, kind of nitpicking with him because you know broadly, cat cat has been good. I, I think the interesting part about nitpicking cat is is at least a lot of the nitpicks are sort of correctable things, right? Mm-hmm. A little bit more control on those passes, not being flailing, you know using your body smartly to not not get in foul trouble, using some discernment of like, what is the right volume of me to be a shooter versus a passer? I would always, I've always contested. I think the dial has been a little bit too much 
pointed at pass or with cat you know mm-hmm. um the, these aren't indictments of cat the player these are like these are the things that can and probably will get ironed out and then you'll be like wow he's already this good you iron some of the these things out and you have that's how you get to like truly special you want to talk about being the best center in the nba level and it's encouraging that, that a lot of them are just correctable because a lot of them are just mental discernments, right? Right. I mean, we don't, you don't criticize Nas Reed at the level you criticize Carl because <laughs> yeah, at right. the end of the day, I mean, you just, we kind of know what Nas is, but you just have higher expectations for Carl. It's like a weird, like you said, it's, it's criticism, but it's like, because I see more in you, like mm-hmm. you, N- Nikola Jokic affects the game in so many different ways than Carl, but Nikola Jokic never finishes a game with seven shot attempts. Like right. you are just too good that even when, I mean, I know he prides himself on like the big brother and being selfless and stuff, but does that shit doesn't matter. Like you still have to hit your quota every day before you can clock out for work. And that's 10 shots right. minimum. Right. Um, I'm gonna let you go so you can write your story and go to bed before, <laughs> I don't know, 6am, but um, you brought it up. Warriors, um, Suns, Jazz coming up here. We're at the point in the, the first time since you and I have covered the team where um, the Wolves are a team that could be competitive in all three games. They have a, a, a shot to beat each of each of those three teams. Uh, how are you just kind of feeling about this this you know ramp into uh, into probably their toughest gauntlet of the the season yet? You know, coming off of now they've won eight of their their last eleven. To that extent, you would think, right? pretty much as in as good of a spot as they could be. Yeah, I think tonight's win put them over 500 for the first time since November 29th. Like, I think Chris Finch said pregame that they were one in six in games when they could get back above 500. You know what I mean? So, like, going back to what you you and I talked about, this is uncharted territory for me to be starting to look at Valentine's Day candy and be like, the Timberwolves are over 500. So, the upcoming schedule is, is a gauntlet. I mean, February opens wide open with a couple Sacramento games and Detroit games, but Mm -hmm. I do think this team again, they, they, I'm amped, but like they should have lost tonight. Let's just call a spade a spade. They should have. Um, I think they have a goldfish mentality where like that, that going back to my deal leadership stuff, right? I actually think as in Carl was amped post game. He got a lift in. He sprinted into media. Like all those guys are so juiced, but I think the never too high, never too low. I think they'll carry that into Golden State on Thursday. It's I think their last national TV game of the season, but um, I th- I think they'll find a way. I think they'll sneak at least one of these next three out, maybe even two. Like I just think that they're not going to put too much into tonight's win, whereas they probably wouldn't have put too much into tonight if it was a loss. Which I guess you can criticize that as well. But I think this team just has a short memory, and it'll it allows them to just focus on that opponent in that night. And that's kind of what you have to do when you enter a, a gauntlet stage like this. They're at their best when they do that. I, I think at, at times they haven't had the goldfish mentality and then you start kind of feeling yourself and then you're playing the Pelicans, right? And you get popped or something like that. But, but as all these little nits we're talking, picking with this team over the course of the year, like, they've all started to somewhat iron themselves out right as as the as the year has progressed and and being able to like 
not feel too high about yourself after, you know, a, a nice little run here and be able to like approach a very difficult stretch with a business like approach. Like I feel dumb saying this all the time because I feel like I've said it 10 times. We've got a pretty critical stretch of games coming up for this team. Right. And maybe that's just, maybe that's just what life is for an above 500 team. This is new to me too. Like, um, Maybe every maybe every next five game stretch is is pretty critical. Like the Sacramento and Detroit one you were just talking about too. Like that's going to be critical as well. Right. Because yeah, exactly. If you, <laughs> if you blow half of those, right, it's gonna it goes it goes it goes the same way. Yeah. No, I agree. And I will. Uh, as the clock as the clock strikes twelve midnight here on the West Coast, I just want to leave you with this because I know you'll talk about this for forty two different pods coming up. It's Wednesday now on the West Coast. Fifteen days till the trade deadline. Tonight's performance to me, and I'll just cue you up and you can marinate on this for the next couple weeks. 15 days to the trade deadline. Tonight, I am very risk averse, by the way, as a human being. Tonight was the clearest of clear examples that this team has to be buyers. It has to be. They had they scored, I think, a bucko a bucko nine against Portland, and 92 of those points came from four guys. Yeah. They have to find. I mean, Jalen Noel had a had a flash in the first half that kind of kept going float. They have to find another consistent player that they can rely on because I think, and yes, I'm a homer, but I think this team is good enough. As going back to this gauntlet stretch, I think they're good enough to compete against any team. They're not beating the Suns in seven games, like they're not. But mm-hmm. I think they can compete against so many more teams than we thought they could have three months ago they have to find a way to make a move because they cannot continue with this, this weird Jaden Malik DMPs for Josh Torian Prince Nasri. Like they're, they're getting nothing from that. And it's going to sting so hard when Ant drops 40 again and they lose by 10 because they got, they got nine points from the bench. Right. It's like in the ideal world, right? You find a way to, turn that Beasley, McDaniels, Prince, Nas, whatever, the, the just sort of confusion that comes with them. And we were also praising the bench some too, but there's just this inherent sort of like confusion with the bench where if you were able to get a player at the deadline, not it doesn't need to be a star player, but a player who can come in in a bench role out of nowhere, similar to how Jalen Noel has, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, like a guy where... They're a bench player, but they make that bench unit make sense. Mm-hmm. We've seen how profound that impact has already been on this team with what Noel has done. If they could do that again and and something else clicks together, um, that could be a real difference maker. And I'm not, you know, that's that's for Gupta and crew to all find out and, and work with Chris Finch to find. But yeah, no, you would be it would be stupid to say they shouldn't be looking for that at the deadline. Um, you know, a, a lot of times it seems silly to trade assets for you know a, a marginal improvement on the team, but it's it's about what assets. You know, are they you do have three second round picks in this draft. I I am a believer that second round picks have value, but but sometimes you can have too many of them at a time and it just it just doesn't make sense to carry three into a draft. I think, you know, some guys on this roster too, depending on how you look at it, might be an asset in the sense that 
they make more sense on another team than they currently do on this Timberwolves team. I think Malik Beasley and Nas Reed are, are two names that work there, which is an indictment of them as players. I think in ways they're both important for this team too, but they might be able to make more, more sense on another team. So can you weave that all together, right? And, and as you said, two weeks before the deadline, I think those are kind of the questions and quite frankly, the things I need to just think about more and just for my own opinion of what that might look like. But it's just nice to to feel like this team has a foundation enough that trading a couple seconds at the deadline for an upgrade isn't dumb because that's normally dumb. Know what I mean? 100%. Again, the Wolves won 109-107. They beat a inferior team and and had 40. And Simons had a 26 footer at the end at the buzzer to win it. Right. And if that goes yeah. in, yeah, I'm going to be looking at you, I'm going to be looking at you and saying they got 57 minutes out of Prince, who I like, Nas Reed and Beasley, six points and three rebounds. Yeah, no, no. thirty some million exactly. dollars, and you just can't have that. So again, don't want to end it on a sour note. Fantastic night above 500. Oh, it's and they were, but it's just it's the reality of it's a make or miss league. And there was one miss that if it's a make, this whole night looks a lot different and a lot more, you know, and you just you just don't want to get down the road in March, God forbid, April, and you get more performances like that where Carl's doing all the dirty work, Mando's playing his ass off, Delo's being clutch, um, Ant's doing his thing, and you're just you're just four guys trying to, you know, row an entire ship. And you have no one else on board, so um, right. it's just, just just something to think about. You get they, they gotta they gotta find more consistency because again, that big three throw Vando in there, you know, get Pat Bev back obviously into that mix. Um, most most fun game I've ever been to, I've been able to cover, and one of the most fun Timberwolves games I think. You know, if you're in if you're in the Central Time Zone, you missed it. It's definitely a rewatch. Um, f- fun 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 stuff and some really good basketball games coming up. And I know you nerd out on that for sure. So Suns, Warriors, Jazz, it's going to be a, a good fun week. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think the reality is both that um, things are good right now, progressing in the right direction and that things could get better. And that's, that's what makes this fun, you know, is, is trying to, trying to guess and check what those things might be. Uh, he's Kyle Tige. You can read his game story, which will be up um, by the time you're listening to this at canishoopers.com. Kyle and his whole crew uh, at Canis uh, cover this team extensively. Ton of articles every day. Canisupus.com. Uh, check that out. Kyle's on Twitter. Kyle Tagge. Uh Kyle, thank you for for staying up late to do this. It's uh, <laughs> it's become a Portland post game tradition, and I'm sure I'm sure again we'll we'll talk maybe uh, right before, right after the the trade deadline. Appreciate you. Uh, all right, all right. Um, I will talk to you all tomorrow. Um, Kurt Robson will be will be joining me Wednesday afternoon. That will that show will be up Wednesday evening. Until then, he's Kyle. I'm Dane. Peace out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.